Last week, we talked about how to get better statistics on your website visitors. This is a way to listen to your readers because, in some ways, actions speak louder than words. And watching the actions of your readers on your website is a powerful view into what they want. But there is another way to learn what your readers want. It is a revolutionary technique called asking them what they want. <laughs> Believe it or not, readers have views as to their preferences. And as you listen to what they have to say, it can help you make your books more appealing and make your marketing more resonant. Often just tiny tweaks can eliminate those little irritations that are torpedoing your success. If you feel stuck in your marketing, if you feel like you're just not growing your sales or growing your platform the way you want, the one thing in your way may be understanding a little bit better what your readers are wanting. So how do you find out? How do you listen to hundreds or even thousands of readers? Well, when you have only a handful, you can talk to them on the phone or take them out to coffee. But when you have a lot of readers, that could take months and probably not the best use of your time. So one super easy method is to create a reader survey. So what is a reader survey and how can you use it to find out more about your readers? Well, find out in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a living writing books worth talking about. So as you put together a reader survey, remember that the purpose of the reader survey is to help you take action, right? It's only tiny tweaks that you're looking to make, but you want to know what those tiny tweaks should be. And often these really do lead to a massive increase. And if you've never surveyed your readers, this may be the one thing holding you back. This may be why you're stuck. But I should point out here that reader surveys are only helpful for authors who actually care about their readers. There's a certain kind of author who just writes what they want to write. They write what's on their heart. And if people like it or don't like it, they don't care. And if that's you, this episode's probably not going to help you. Because if you don't care what your readers think, if you don't care about how to better serve them or how to better thrill them, then there's no point in surveying them because you don't care what their answers are. <laughs> but if you do care, if you want your readers to leave your book happy, if you want to better be able to adapt your writing and your marketing to be what they want, consider a reader survey. So a couple quick tips on surveys. First is that simple is better and shorter is better. So we're not looking for a big, long, intensive survey here. We're often just a handful of strategically chosen questions is all you need to unlock your writing and unlock your marketing. I also recommend that you offer some kind of incentive. One person who fills out the survey gets a prize of some kind, but I would select an incentive that's really tailored to only be interesting to your fans because you don't want people taking the survey who aren't already a fan or already a reader because you don't care what strangers think. <laughs> really, that can muddy the waters. The key to success as an author is to have really thrilled, a really passionate core readership that will then talk about your books to their friends, right? So it's about thrilling a small number of people who are like embers that go out and start the forest to fire. And so those are the people you want to thrill, not the lots of random strangers of maybe I can convince this, you know, burly hunter who's never read a romance book in his life to read my romance book by adapting it to be the kind of romance book he wants to read. That's not the kind of feedback you want to get. And that's not the change you want to make. 
And so what kind of incentive do you want to offer? Well, I think one really good incentive if you're already published is to offer an autographed hardback of all of your books to one reader, maybe a handful of readers. It's up to you how many people you give the incentive to. But the only person who'd be interested in a hardback collection of your books would be an existing reader. <laughs> it's somebody who's already a fan of your writing and probably already own a copy, but do they own a hardback? Do they own a signed hardback? But that's not the only kind of incentive you can give away. And you don't have to give away an incentive. Your most core fans will probably want to give you feedback and be eager to give you feedback. And I am doing this myself. I realized the last time I surveyed novel marketing listeners was five years ago. <laughs> so uh, while putting this episode together, I put together a new novel marketing listener survey. And my incentive is that I'm going to give five people who fill out that survey a free one-on-one -on -one marketing consultation with me. And so you can find the link to it in the show notes. I'll also send out an email to everyone on our email list with a link to the survey. And who knows, you could be one of those people who, to win a one-on-one -on -one marketing consultation. I put a value on this, but really, I have people asking me for one-on-one -on -one consultations all the time, and I typically turn them down. I don't have time <laughs> for lots of one-on-one -on -one consultations. And so this is like your only way to get it right now. <laughs> so I encourage you to fill out the survey. Okay, so let's talk about setting up the survey. I recommend using Google Forms. If you have Google Docs, it's included with Google Docs. It's a web-based form system, and it's really, really good. It's what I've been using for forms for years. You can find it at docs.google.com. There's a free version of Google Docs that you can get, and the forms that comes with it is fully functional. But you may already be paying for Google Docs you know, through your Gmail or through your G Suite for Work app. And let me walk you through the kinds of questions that you can ask. So you can ask short answer and paragraph questions. So I like to include at the end of a survey a couple of open-ended questions that's just kind of whatever's on your mind type questions and, and some short answer questions. The downside of these kinds of questions, though, is that they don't go into any sort of graph or chart. So the next three options, multiple choice, check boxes and drop down, that's where you select the options and you can see, oh, 60% of people said that my books are coming out too slowly and 40% said my books are coming out too fast, right? And you can just see that in a graph really quickly. It's a lot easier than digging through dozens or thousands of short answers to a question. Also, these kinds of questions are easier for people to answer. Right. We're authors, we're comfortable writing, but a lot of people are not comfortable writing. They're not confident with their use of grammar, especially when talking to an author. So they may not want to type a lot. And if they're on their phone, they certainly don't want to type a lot. Now, the difference between multiple choice and checkboxes is interesting. And on the survey that I'm sending the listeners, I'm using both. So one of the questions I ask is, what topics would you like to hear more about? And I have a whole bunch of different kinds of topics with checkboxes. And then I have, uh, what would you like to hear less about? And I have those same topics <laughs> with checkboxes. You can select one or more of either of these categories. So if you're tired of me talking about a certain topic, you can select it and the I want to hear less. And I also have, and, and Google Docs has this feature called Other, where if you select Other, you can type your own answer to this question. Now, the advantage of others is that it's really good for brainstorming questions like this. So if there's a topic that I don't have on this list, but you're really passionate about, it, you're like, gosh, Thomas, why haven't you talked about this? This is your chance to let me know. 
The downside of other is that it won't go into the chart because you'll be the only one who types it in or there'll be all these little tiny slivers of one person put this and one person put that. And so it breaks the chart a little bit to have another option. But for certain kinds of questions, I think it's totally worth it. So for this kind of question, what would you like to hear more about? It kind of combines that, you know, multiple choice, check the boxes kind of answer with the short answer, which is a really brilliant feature. It's one of the reasons I really like Google Forms is because it has this kind of flexibility. You can set whether or not a question is required or not. I, in general, like to try to keep as few questions as required as possible because I'd rather somebody fill out half of the form than hit a required question they don't want to answer and not fill out the form. But it's up to you. And you can set that on a question-by-question basis, whether or not you feel like it should be required. But one other feature that Google Forms has that's really cool is you can create sections for the questions and you can skip sections based off of their answers. So one of the questions that I ask listeners is what kind of writing do you primarily write? And the options are fiction, nonfiction, children's, and memoir. And if somebody selects fiction, they go to a section asking them which fiction genre they write. Because there's a bunch of fiction genres and I want to know, one of the reasons I'm creating this listener survey is one, what's the makeup of my audience? What kind of examples should I use more often, right? How many romance listeners do I have? How many sci-fi listeners do I have? But also, do you feel like I'm hitting topics that are appropriate to your genre? Or you feel like a lot of the episodes are kind of, you know, they apply to other genres, but they don't apply to your genre. This is really important and I want to know it, but I only want to know it for fiction because for nonfiction, the marketing techniques don't really shift from genre to genre. And I don't want to bore nonfiction listeners with a bunch of questions that don't really apply to them. So with Google Forms, it's called go to section based off of answer. So the different answers that people can select will determine what section they go to next. So all of the answers go to section four, except for the fiction section, which goes to section three. And again, if you want to see this in action, you're welcome to take the listener survey and you can see how I structured it. In general, it's pretty simple. So it's not as complex as you'd see with something like SurveyMonkey. SurveyMonkey is more expensive. It's more complicated. It's harder to use. And for this kind of survey that you're doing with readers, you don't need it to be complicated. You're only asking a handful of strategic questions. So once you have your form all filled out in Google Forms, there's a giant purple send button. (laughs) So you click send and you can embed this form on your website or you can send a link to people. And I recommend that you send a link. So you copy the link and you send it to your email subscribers. Now, once the answers come in and as I start to get feedback on the listener survey, Google Forms will give me some nice charts and graphs. I can also go through the answers and see them on a per person basis. So I can see one person and all their particular answers as opposed to an aggregate of here's how everyone voted on this answer, so to speak. And one cool thing is that I can export this information into Google Sheets, which is Google's version of Excel. And I could download that as an Excel file as well if I wanted to. So it's it's a very powerful tool when it comes to getting into the data. Although I imagine for most authors, you don't really need to use a spreadsheet to torture this data. <laughs> Just looking at the uh, graphs and charts right there in Google Forms is sufficient. Again, we don't have complicated needs here as authors. We're just asking some simple questions. Speaking of questions, I want to give you some tips when it comes to picking good questions. And the first tip is to determine what you actually need to know. 
So remember, the purpose of a survey and listener questions is to help you make changes. And so if you're not going to change something, don't ask some questions related to that thing. So for example, the biggest source of negative feedback for this podcast, in fact, I think all of the negative recent reviews have been uh, related to the fact that I don't hide my religion. <laughs> so people are, don't like the fact that I am a Christian and they put, they, they'll give me one star on Apple Podcasts because of it. And so I could ask, what religion are you, right? I'm trying to determine, should I change, you know, how I present the show? But I thought about it. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to change. I'm not going to start hiding the fact that I'm a Christian. I'm not going to try to become somebody different just because there's a few haters out there who don't like it. And so I don't have that question on my listener survey because it doesn't matter. Now, I have an optional question on where you lean politically, left, right, or please don't talk to me about politics, because marketing does touch with politics, and I want to know what kind of language to use and what kind of examples to use. But I made that an optional question, because I know some people are very sensitive about that, but I do want to know, and that will influence how I handle topics moving forward, because I don't know. I, I guess, right, I have a, a handful of people who are really loud but often, the handful of people who are really loud aren't representative of the big group of listeners. In fact, this is a good point for why it's important to do a reader survey, is that if the only thing you know about your readers is what the really loud people are saying, the people who are passionate enough to send you an email, you, what you don't know is if they're representative of the group or not. It could be this one person speaking up, being like, I really didn't like that character, and please, in your next book, don't talk about that character quite so much. Is that a voice of all of your readers? Is it a voice of most of your readers? Or is it a voice of that one weird person? And everybody else likes that character just fine, right? You won't know without some kind of survey. And so that's why I'm surveying my listeners and why I encourage you to survey your readers. I also encourage you not to ask questions uh, to which you already know the answers. <laughs> like you already know how many sales you're getting on Amazon, right? If you're independently published, you get a report back. If you're traditionally published, you can get that information from your publisher. That's going to be more accurate than you know, just what your people on your list are saying. And so I wouldn't ask that kind of question. And I'd also be cautious with a technique called push polling. So this is working in questions into a survey to try to get your readers to take action. So an example of that for me would be like, are you a patron yet? <laughs> right. The, the, I. I know how many patrons I have, right? So I don't actually need to know the answer to that question. In fact, the number of patrons I have is publicly available. The only reason to include a question like, have you become a patron, would be to try to encourage people filling out the survey to feel like they're missing out or to feel like they should become a patron or to remind them to be a patron. And I don't think that's a good use of a survey. I think an honest use of a survey, and especially for your first one, you really need to approach this out of a place of curiosity. This isn't your opportunity to needle people into taking action. I realize push polling is really powerful and in politics it's often used, but I don't encourage you to use that technique here. I think you should just be trying to get information from your readers so that you can better thrill them. And just do that. <laughs> it's not to say that there aren't other times to encourage people to leave a review or encourage people to buy your book, right? Of course you do that. But uh, don't do that in the survey, especially not in the first survey. 
And again, don't ask questions that the answer to which won't change your actions, right? If the answer doesn't really change how you're going to write or how you're going to market, then don't ask that question. Leave the question off because the fewer questions you ask, the more answers you'll get and the more valid the answers will be. Because it is important to get a lot of answers because you won't have a good statistical sampling if you don't have a good statistical sample. <laughs> so with that, let's talk about the kinds of questions. There's three kinds of questions, and I'll give you examples of each one about the reader, about the book, and about the promotion. So about the reader, these are the most important questions. You don't have to put all of these, but here's just some suggestions. How many books do you read each year? I find that this question's a useful question because it helps you understand basically how much competition you're facing and how frequently you can write your books, right? Because if you find out that most of your readers only read two books a year and you're currently writing two books a year, <laughs> then you writing a third book a year isn't actually going to increase your sales like you think it would because that would require them to become a different kind of person, the kind of person who reads three books a year. Now, maybe some of them like your writing so much that they'll change and that could happen, but it won't necessarily happen. And it could be really easy to get discouraged if you increase. They're like, gosh, I increased the number of books I write each year by 50%. And, I'm, and now I'm writing way faster and working way harder and my sales didn't go up 50%. Why not? Well, if you have this survey and you find out, oh, you know, I was already fully satisfying <laughs> the, the demand for not just my book, but for books in general for the majority of my audience. So I can slow down and it'll be okay. Or perhaps it's different, right? <laughs> and they're reading a whole bunch of books um, per year and they're wanting more books from you, right? Because another question we'll get to later that's a question about the book is, what is your preferred release frequency? And right? how often do you want to see a book from me? Do you want a book every year? Do you want a book every month? Now, when you're selecting the answers here, you know, only select answers that you can deliver, right? So if you aren't capable of writing a book every month, don't put that as an option because that could set up some false expectations. So I would maybe put a vague as fast as possible option as the like the most extreme. All right. So back to the about the reader questions. Uh, where do you prefer to buy books? Now, this is an interesting question because it doesn't ask them where they do buy books. It asks them where they prefer to buy books. And you might put the word prefer in all caps. Because it may be that they buy books on Amazon, but they really prefer to buy it from their local bookstore or whatever, right? They prefer to buy audiobooks on Audible, but they'll buy it on Amazon. In fact, another question is, what format do you prefer to read in? Ebook, paper, or audio? Now, if you've only done books up to this point in paper and ebook, you're going to score low here on audiobooks because you've been excluding them so far, right? A lot of audiobook listeners like me don't read ebook or paper books. And so if you don't have anything for me, I wouldn't be on your list. I wouldn't be your reader because I've gone to your Amazon page. I've seen that you don't have an audiobook and then I've just left. I didn't buy a book. But there are other people who are agnostic. They have a Kindle, they listen to audiobooks, and they buy paper books. And they may have a preference one way or the other, but it's not a strong preference. They're willing to read in these other formats. And so you can find that out. And that might help you have the confidence to spend the money for an audiobook. If you realize, wow, there's this big percentage of my current readers who would buy the audiobook if it were available, maybe I should make an audiobook. If you're doing audiobooks anyway, and you're doing ebooks and paper books anyway, 
you probably don't need to ask this question because it's not going to change your behavior and you already know the answer, right? You can compare your audiobook sales, your ebook sales, and your paperbook sales and your sales data. <laughs> so you don't need to ask this question there. So again, these are just suggested questions. Another question would be kind of demographic questions, like how old are you? What is your gender? Reading is very gendered. There are a lot of strongly gendered genres, but there are other genres like sci-fi and fantasy, for instance, where both men and women read in the genre, capital G genre, but once you get down to the subgenres, it's very different what they read. And there's some authors that are read by both men and women, and then there's some authors that are more one and more the other. And you want to know what you are, right? I was actually talking with somebody just yesterday, and she was asking me for book recommendations. She really liked uh, sci-fi and fantasy, but she wanted it to have a strong romantic thread. So I'm scrolling through my Audible looking for the various series that I've read, and I'm realizing, wow, you know, I'd made some recommendations to her, strong romantic thread. She really liked the Wheel of Time books that I'd recommended to her. But I read a lot of military science fiction that doesn't have <laughs> any kind of romantic thread to it. Or if it does, it's very tenuous and very on the side. And I'm like, yeah, she wouldn't be interested in military science fiction. And military science fiction is a very male-dominated. So if you know you're writing romance and you don't care the answer to this question, don't ask it. Another question is, where do you lean politically? I, I feel like more and more this is becoming an important question for marketing. You see a lot of big marketing blunders where the company doesn't know the politics of their customers and they unknowingly make them angry. <laughs> and I'll be real vague here, with, but you can think of examples of companies that have rubbed their customers the wrong way. And this is also happening with authors. Maybe it's happening right now as you are listening to this. <laughs> and so my three answers is left, right, and please don't talk to me about politics. And if your audience is, you know, 90%, please don't talk to me about politics. And you've got various jabs that you make at the other guys, the other political faction in your book, you may find that your sales go up if you take those jabs out. But if you're a very political person and the whole point of you writing is to make those jabs and you want to point out how the other guys are wrong or how your side is right or whatever, it's okay to be political. I'm, I'm not saying don't be political. But what I'm saying is make that decision on purpose. And if you are trying to navigate that question, ask your readers. Let them let you know what they think. And it may be that once you know, you're still going to do it, but now you do it with knowledge. Because <laughs> again, this feedback that you're getting from readers, it doesn't control you. You still get to make the decisions. But there's a big difference between taking a principled stand knowing that you're going to get pushback and being blindsided because you had no idea the pushback was coming. Right? You want to have your eyes open to the world as it is, not as how you want it to be. A couple of other questions you can ask here. What were your favorite books last year? And who are your favorite authors? I like these questions. And hopefully this is an open-ended answer. And, you know, don't put, you know, five choices and your name is one of the choices. It's just an ego-stroking thing. That's not the purpose of this question. The purpose of this question is if a lot of your readers are reading certain other authors that you've never heard of, you need to start reading those authors. And reading those authors with an eye to what is it about these authors that my readers like? What is it about these books that are resonating with my readers? And you might pick a handful of the readers and talk to them, right? Now you read the books. All right. Okay. I finally read Lord of the Rings. Everyone's been talking about Lord of the Rings my whole life. I've never read the books, but I finally sat down and, and read them and I still don't get it. Right. Explain to me why you like the Lord of the Rings, <laughs> right? Or whatever. And now you have a better understanding of your readers. 
Okay, so those are the about the reader sample questions. Now, the next section is about the book questions. And the purpose of these questions is to listen to your readers about how your book is resonating with readers and specifically what parts of the book are resonating. So, for example, what was your favorite part of my book? Right? What part spoke to you the most? What part got you the most excited? You could also say, what was your least favorite part of the book? Right? Sometimes an author will be writing a series and they've got five or six plot lines that are going and man, their readers are vibing with you know four of those plot lines. And man, I'm so excited. And then they switch plot lines to the fifth plot line, and the readers are like, "Ugh, I guess I got to get through this section to get to the interesting bits, right? Wouldn't you want to know what that is <laughs> so you can wind up that plot line that's not interesting, so that now every plot line leads to the next interesting plot line, and this is your chance to find out. And along those same lines, I wouldn't ask the phrase plot line because that's kind of jargony. So favorite part of the book, least favorite part of the book. And then the other way I'd phrase this question, you might ask these questions uh, multiple ways, is who is your favorite character? And who is your least favorite character? And I would put your most uh, common characters here with little checkboxes where they select, you know, who are your favorite characters? And they check, 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 check. In fact, I think this may be more useful because if somebody is checking, you know, four out of five of your characters and then you ask the question again, who's your least favorite character? And they're not checking any of the boxes. Then, you know, okay, this character, people don't dislike this character, but they don't like the character as much as the other characters. And this doesn't mean that you're going to kill off the character, but it does help you understand who to give more screen time to, so to speak. And then, like I talked about earlier, what is your preferred release frequency or how often do you want to get new books from me? I think this is a useful thing to know. Do you have readers who you're their summer read? They're going to buy one book from you a year. They're going to read it at the beach. And it doesn't matter how many more books you write. They're only going to buy one book. Or are these people who would read as many books as you could write? If you just wrote faster, they would buy more books. You want to know. And you want to know what the breakup is. is Because like all these questions, it's not going to be everybody one way or everybody the other. The third kind of question is about the promotion sample questions. So these are questions about your marketing and your platform and your email newsletter itself. Right? You're emailing a link to this survey to the people on your email newsletter. You want to find out how you can make your emails more interesting and more useful to your readers. Right. So a good question is how often do you want to get email updates? Another question could be what are your favorite topics in my emails? I know one author she handed this newsletter, very popular newsletters, Mary DeMuth. And at the end of her emails, she would include a prayer. She would pray for her email subscribers. And she sent out a reader survey. And one of her questions was this one. What were your favorite topics in my emails? And it turned out that the vast, vast majority of people, their favorite element of her emails was the prayer that she typed up at the end of the emails. And it was looking at that data and discussing it with uh, her mastermind group. And she's like, what if I did something that was just prayer? <laughs> Nothing but prayer. And we talked about it. And, and she decided to launch the Pray Every Day podcast. And that podcast has gone on to become more popular than her email newsletter. <laughs> it has millions and millions of downloads. It's become fantastically successful and part of what inspired it was a reader survey realizing, oh, this small piece of what I'm doing is really resonant with readers. If I gave them more of that and just that, it would really resonate. 
and it went on to be a book and a whole ministry for her <laughs> was born out of something that she just kind of threw at the end of her emails kind of as an aside. And she would have had no idea how popular it was if she hadn't have asked her readers. Another thing you could include is what are your least favorite topics in my emails? All right, what do you want less of? <laughs> what, what do you want me to talk about less? And then finally, what is your most burning question? This is particularly useful for nonfiction. It can also be helpful for fiction because this is where you can get topics for future emails. If people are curious about something about your books or something about your characters, you can write about it in your emails. I have a bunch of versions of this question or I have several versions of this question in my survey because my best show topics come out of feedback from you, my listeners. That's why it's so easy to get a hold of me, right? You can just hit reply to any of the email that I send and it goes to me. It doesn't go to an assistant. I try to be reachable with questions because I need your questions to make the show as useful as possible. And then I would always include at least one open-ended paragraph question, right? Do you have any other feedback for me type question and make it paragraph text and make it optional. But some people, they fill out a whole survey because they want to tell you that one thing. And if you don't have a question for that one thing, they leave the survey very frustrated. And that one thing that was so passionate and burning on their heart that they filled out all the other questions to get to one, hoping you'd ask the question. That may be totally transformational <laughs> to get that feedback. All right, a few warnings. Not all feedback is helpful. This is an important warning to take in mind. And the feedback is not in control. You are in control. So this is data to inform you. This is not your boss to control you. Also, you want to make sure that you're getting feedback from the right people and not the wrong people. And so I wouldn't, you know, post this to a Facebook group with a bunch of strangers and offer them a free $100 Amazon gift card if they fill it out. Because now you have a bunch of strangers who may not know who you are, and they may be just picking answers at random just because they want a chance to win the gift card. And that's no good. <laughs> also, as you read through open-ended questions and open-ended feedback, people often will identify a problem or an irritation, and then they'll propose a solution. And the solution is often not the best solution, especially when it comes to your story. So you want to often come up with your own solution, but you want to know about the problem. And so just because a lot of people are suggesting a certain solution, and that doesn't mean you have to go with it, right? Also, some people will say negative things, right? They're not going to like your book and or they're not going to like something that you're doing. And it can be difficult to read that negative feedback. In fact, probably this is why you haven't sent out a survey yet is that even though you know most of the feedback is going to be positive, those handful of negative voices may be hard to hear. And sometimes those can be really helpful to hear. In fact, my audio quality got better on this podcast because people complained about it in a listener survey and in emails. Because when I started this podcast, I didn't know a lot about microphones. So the microphones that were available back then weren't very good. And our audio was bad. If you listen to the really early episodes, the audio is not very good. And so based off of listener feedback, that was hard to hear. Right, I got a better microphone. <laughs> I got a, I got a mixer, and and I educated myself. I've done so much research now on microphones. I, I went a little overboard, but my audio is better, and I'm thankful for that. It's, I'm still working on it, still trying to improve it, but it's gotten slowly better over time. But as you get that negative feedback, something to encourage you is that people aren't describing you in their feedback. 
they're describing themselves. The most common word used in book reviews is I. And it will be the same in your survey. And so realize this isn't an indictment on you. It's a description of them. And you can choose to better accommodate them or not. But your book isn't good or bad based off of whatever the results are in this feedback. What you will learn is whether or not your book was a right fit for those particular people. Right. I could take a vegan to Rudy's Barbecue, the best barbecue in the state of Texas, and they would be unhappy and they would leave and they would give the restaurant a bad review. Why? Because there's not really any vegan options there. It's a terrible place to be a vegan. So does that mean that Rudy's Barbecue is not the best barbecue in Texas? No, it's still the best barbecue in Texas. But that person was not a good fit for that barbecue place. And that's going to be the same for your readers. And so it may be that you want to better accommodate them, right? You add some vegan options to the barbecue place, or you just are okay with the fact that, you know what, we're a barbecue place. We're not going to be able to thrill vegans here. You'd be happier going to a restaurant with more plant-based options or vice versa, right? Somebody's on a carnivore diet and they go to a, a vegan restaurant and they're like, there's no meat here. You know, what am I going to eat? So know who your audience is and know what they want. And part of this is picking, right? It's like, okay, my audience is split between people who want X and people who want Y. I've decided I'm going to go all in on the people who want Y. And if the people want X want to stick around, they can. But if not, that's all right. I've decided for Y. And you are in control. Because remember, surveys inform your decisions, not control them. So this is to help you make better decisions, help you make your marketing more effective. It's about making your book more resonant, but it's about helping you make better decisions. But you are still the boss. You are still the author. You're still creating your book. Creating a survey is not going to take that control away from you. It'll just help you make better tweaks. Now, we are approaching the month of June, and June 2023 is Patrons Appreciation Month. So once a year, I try to have a month where I show my gratitude towards patrons, more than just the free bonus episode that they get every month where the patrons come on live and they get to pick my brain. And last year, I gave away a free course. And this year, I'm going to give away another free course. So the free course that I'm giving away to patrons in June 2023 is my course, Publishing A to Z. This course is a collection of everything that I have to teach on publishing from my years as a marketing director at working with authors and as a literary agent. And one of the things we talk about is traditional versus indie publishing. I go through the pros and cons of both. I'm not a strong advocate for either, but I walk you through the process and teach you how to do a book proposal, how to get a literary agent, walk you through the whole thing. If you want to walk the traditional process and if you want to go the indie process, I walk you through the whole way there. So this really is the best preparation to help you make a determination, which is for you, because you're making it with knowledge, right? You're not choosing out of ignorance. You're like, oh, well, if I go traditional, it's the only way to get sales. If I went indie, I couldn't get sales. Or, you know, that's not true. Indies can get sales too. And it neither is easier, I should point out. <laughs> success, true success, is just as hard as an indie as it is as a traditionally published author overall. But one may play better to your strengths and avoid your weaknesses a little bit better. Or one may be a better fit for your particular kind of book. So I walk you through how to do that. This is a, a very robust course. It's normally $299, but for patrons, it is free. 
And if you want to become a patron, you can become a patron for as little as $4. So this really is a good time to become a patron. It's $4 a month to be a patron. You could cancel at the end of Patron Appreciation Month and the course is yours to keep forever. But my hope is that you'll stick around. My hope is that these free episodes that you get every week, you find them helpful enough to support financially. And I will say, you'll be more motivated to listen to the episodes and to put into practice what you're learning when you start paying for it. Because where your money is, there your heart will be also. And so if you're wanting a little bit of extra motivation to take your writing and publishing to the next level, becoming a patron and paying for it, that alone could be the motivation that you need. So if you want to sign up to become a patron, you can find out more at authormedia.com slash patron. Speaking of patrons, our featured patron today is Larisha Matuska, author of The Healer's Rune. 300 years after a great war shattered the Council of Races, the warrior Rudan have all but eradicated their cousins, the fairy, Aethel, and enslaved mortal humanity. In order to save her people from being wiped out by the Rudan, Sabine, a human healer, must overcome generations of bitterness, suspicion, and fear, and forge an alliance among enemy races. But what chance does she have when one of those races is extinct and her dreams of freedom threaten every remaining race on the planet? Larisha Matuska, thank you so much for being a patron of Novel Marketing. Make sure to grab your free copy of Publishing A to Z during the month of June. Because once it's July, it's too late. So you do have to grab it by June. But I really appreciate your support helping keep this podcast on the air. I could not do this without the help of all of you lovely patrons. The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. Audio engineering by William Umstadt. The blog post version is crafted by Shauna Lettler. And to read that blog version and to find a link to the listener survey, if you want to give me feedback on this podcast, go to authormedia.com slash 372. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. saying thank you for listening and live long and prosper.